The Duty of Women, Chapter 1. So that's it. My courses had stopped and my breasts felt swollen and sore. I knew I must be with child. But God in heaven, how did it come to this? Daughter, I was in a state of deep anxiety when I discovered I was pregnant. And I had no man to protect and provide for me. It was almost like it was when I turned up at the court of Catherine of Aragon without family, friends or money. I could not bear the thought that I could go back to having nothing and no one to love. So how did it happen? Daughter, have patience and I will tell you and I pray that you will not condemn me for the mistakes I made. Will and I started our married life living under Thomas Cromwell's roof at Austin Friars. We were saving so that in time we could afford a house. Cromwell was the only other living person who knew the secret of my identity. I was the legitimate child of King Henry VIII and Queen Catherine of Aragon, born scarcely breathing and left for dead. I could have been disposed of with the stained linen, the wet towels and the empty bottles of wine that had been brought out of the birthing chamber but a midwife noticed me stirring. She was a witch, this woman, and I wondered if she had brought me back to life somehow, as the doctor had said I was stillborn. But there I was, a tiny scrap of a thing, hanging on to life so fiercely she had to save me. She took me to Tom and Joan, who fostered me, and brought me up with their son Will. It was only later, after my mother had died, that I made my way to Queen Catherine. And even then it took me years to put all the pieces together and work out the mystery of my birth. It was Will who helped me to do that and who persuaded me, at last, to marry. I worked for Catherine of Aragon until I grew up and only at the end did I tell her that she was my mother. I'd seen her once since then. She was exiled from court and more or less imprisoned by the king, who had once sworn he adored her. No one who ever loved her was allowed to visit. I grieved for her, but in the first days of my marriage to Will, I was madly in love with him, and nothing else much mattered. Lady Anne Boleyn was more or less queen by then, and she employed me as a musician. I did not play at the grand royal occasions. I was by virtue of my sex, able to play in Lady Anne's privy chambers, to lull her to sleep or to soothe her whenever she erupted in frustration at having to wait ever longer for the king to get his divorce 
so that they could get married. Nobody doubted now that they would get married. King Henry was passionately in love with her and Lady Anne would not come to his bed without a ring on her finger. I'm not going to be like my sister, she said, as she looked up from writing a letter to the king. I was playing the lute quietly in the background while she scratched furiously with her quill. She was sitting at her desk, surrounded by piles of books. Lady Anne was an adherent of the new ways of thinking. She wanted to challenge the authority of priests and the Roman church. She knew from her reading that people could have a direct relationship with God and not be ordered about by old Italian priests. And yes, she was completely sincere in that. I didn't always like her, but I always respected her. She paused for a moment. I love the man. That's a problem. Does he think I don't want him to make love to me? I long for it. I have saved myself just for him. I wondered, daughter, about her two past suitors, Harry Percy and Sir Thomas Wyatt. Had she really remained a virgin in the face of their entreaties? Looking at her, I thought she was telling the truth. She was beautiful, no doubt about it, with her glossy dark hair and black eyes. But what burned within her was spirit, not a love of the flesh. She wanted to work for a new church in England, and she knew that she could only do that as the king's wife. I noticed a small line across her forehead, brought on by screwing up her eyes in the candlelight, and felt sorry for her. She was not like Queen Catherine. She didn't have women who loved her, who would stroke her hair and tell her to rest. Anne's sister, Lady Mary Carey, was in the country now, bringing up the two small children that the king had fathered on her. Her mother, Lady Elizabeth Boleyn, was around, but her ambition was so overarching that she would never allow her daughter to forget what was expected of her. The Boleyns saw Lady Anne as their pathway to absolute power. The fact that she was also their daughter had been forgotten. Just tell him, Anne. He can't be waiting for the Pope to give him a divorce. It won't happen. He has to take matters into his own hands and marry you. Don't you go to his bed and give in to him now. Anne pressed her lips together, made her look severe, but I could tell she was trying not to cry. She hunched her slim shoulders over the desk and I sensed that she sometimes found this burden too much. She was carrying her love for the man, but far heavier than that was her family's ambition and her urgent desire to change things. Lady Jane Seymour entered the chamber, bringing a flagon of wine and some goblets on a tray. Her eyes were downcast. She told me privately that she missed Queen Catherine and is only serving Lady Anne because her father had told her to do so. She bent over the desk and made to pace, place the flagon beside Lady Anne. She didn't like looking directly at her mistress and so she fumbled, trying to find a space. She leant forward too quickly and some of the wine spilled out. What was that? You clumsy bitch! It's all over my skirt. 
Anne's voice was hard and unforgiving. She found Jane irritating and didn't forget forgive her clumsiness. Jane thumped the tray down at the side table and curtsied deeply. I'm so sorry, my lady, I was not looking, she said. I could see there were tears in her eyes. Don't just curtsy, go and get a cloth and some water, Elizabeth Boleyn said. I pray for your sake, girl, that you haven't ruined that velvet. Anne's sky-blue velvet gown now had a deep red stain on it. Jane Seymour hurried off and returned with a ewer of water and a linen cloth. She bunched up the cloth and poured a little water on it. Then she bent down and started scrubbing at at Lady Anne's skirts. This gown was a present from the king, Lady Anne said icily. Will you tell him that it was your inattentions that spoiled it so completely? The tears suddenly spilled out of Jane's eyes and started dropping like rain down her cheeks and onto the stained blue velvet. Anne maybe felt a little pity for the girl because she brushed her off gently. Oh, it is only a gown, Lady Jane, she said. Don't worry about it. I shall get my laundress to have a look at it. It would always do for my sister or for you, Cat. She turned to me and smiled that dazzling smile. Jane scrubbed at her face with her hands and said shakily, Thank you, my lady. I promise I won't do it again. She backed away, nearly bumping into a chest beside the door, corrected herself and finally left. She'd better not do it again, said Lady Boleyn. Why do you have to put up with her stupidity? I will never know. Lady Anne shrugged her shoulders and turned to me. Would you like this gown, Cat? My maid will do her best with it tonight. Let me give it to you tomorrow. I stopped playing and spoke eagerly. It's the colour of sky, my lady. Yes, I would like it if it pleases you. Then you shall have it, Lady Anne pronounced. Now get back to your husband. I do not need for you to stay tonight. Come in tomorrow morning after mass. I shall need some sweet music to calm me down. She laughed ironically and waved me away. I was happy to go. My dismissal meant that I would be able to spend the evening with Will back in our room at Thomas Cromwell's house. I felt a shiver inside me at the thought of Will and what we might do together. We were married but three months and the wonder of exploring each other's bodies was still fresh and delightful. I hurried through the antechamber, heading for Thomas Cromwell's office in the palace. I was sure that Will would still be there. He was a hard worker and devoted to his master. I took my lute and put it in its case. Then I fetched my cloak, tied it at my chin and made to leave Lady Anne's apartments. A forlorn figure was standing to one side of the guard, her head buried in her hands. I put down my lute and hurried over to her. Lady Jane, don't cry. She's sharp, but her bark is worse than her bite, I assured her, remembering how much I had disliked Lady Boleyn when I was a child. It's it's no good, cat. Everything I do is wrong. 
Lady Jane was crying again. Much as I had sympathy for her, she was not a woman like me. Yes, I had felt tears well up in my eyes, but I had always spoken my mind, even when it got me into trouble. Being a strange child at court, I had not the luxury of tears. And I had loved Queen Catherine, who in spite of many troubles had only cried when her heart was breaking. I wish I could go and serve Queen Catherine, Jane sniffed, wiping her eyes with a handkerchief. She was so kind, she never said a cruel word to anyone. I patted her on the arm. I know, my lady, Queen Catherine was the best mistress we could have ever had. But she's banished now, and you know we are not allowed to be with her. I was close to her, you know that. I think of her at night on her own. But what can we do? We are only ordinary women. Jane stiffened a little, and I remembered my place. Of course, my lady, you are gentry and I am not. But as women, we are not mistresses of our fate. Lady Jane smiled tearfully at me. You're more a mistress of your fate than I am, she said. You married for love. My father will marry me to whoever he decides. I will have no say in the matter. I took her hand in mine and kissed it. My lady, I shall make a prayer tonight that whoever you marry will be the love of your life. You will pray to the Blessed Virgin Mary, Jane asked, brightening a little. Now, I didn't believe in all of this praying to saints and to Our Lady. I believed then and I believe now that I can pray to God directly. But I wasn't going to upset Lady Jane. Yes, my lady, I will indeed. Now, please excuse me. I have to find my husband. I must drag him away from his office. Yes, of course, Cat, and thank you. She fluttered her hand towards me. He's a lucky man to have you. Yes, and I tell him so every day. He has married above him. With that joke, I curtsied to Lady Jane, picked up my lute and hurried away. What Lady Jane didn't know was that I was telling the truth. Will knew that I was the child of King Henry and Queen Catherine, and he often feared that I would consider myself too good for him. But I loved him, and I wanted no other. And only Will, Cromwell and Queen Catherine knew the secret of my birth. It was impossible for me to tell the court. With Lady Anne Boleyn in the ascendant, another child of Catherine of Aragon would not be welcomed. Indeed, Thomas Cromwell believed that I might well be in danger, both from Anne Boleyn's faction and from supporters of Princess Mary. Either side would see me as a threat. Therefore, a secret it remained. I walked through the dark chambers of the palace. The winter sunlight was fading and the candles were being lit. Every now and then I passed a servant bringing refreshments from the kitchen or a courtier hurrying to meet friends, but I didn't slacken my step. In another, more workmanlike part of the palace, I found Will still at his desk. He was writing out a document, slowly and carefully, concentrating intently. I loved him so much. For a moment he wasn't aware of me, and then he heard the rustle of my skirts as I carefully placed my lute on the floor. He looked up, 
and his face brightened with a warm smile of recognition. Well met, princess. Well met, mistress cat. He stood up and embraced me. I still couldn't get used to the feeling of being in his arms, so strong and hard. I looked up at his handsome face and realised that I was indeed lucky. Standing on tiptoes, I gave him a long kiss on his lips and he pulled me even closer to him. I was very aware of the rise and fall of his chest and of the erection beneath his hose that he was pressing against me. At last he pulled back, cleared some papers off a seat and motioned for me to sit down. Wait five minutes, mistress, and we shall go home together, he said his eyes examining every inch of me. I felt warm and silly and girlish all at once. I had once vowed never to get married, but I was glad I had renounced that vow. Will had always been a friend, a soulmate and an ally. But now we were linked by the pull of our bodies, the rolling tides of desire. I wondered whether Queen Catherine had ever felt that for the king. Maybe at first, when they were both young. I hoped so, for her sake. We walked down to the river and took a skiff to Austin Friars. The tide was against us, so the boatman had to work hard. It was dark, and I could barely see Will's face. But he held my hand tightly, and we whispered to each other as the boat dipped and rose against the waves. When we disembarked, it was only a short walk to Austin Friars. We were still living with Thomas Cromwell until we could afford to buy a house. With Will's wages and my small pension from Catherine of Aragon, it might be soon. I couldn't wait. Thomas Cromwell had made us both welcome, but I wanted some independence, a house of my own, maybe even a maidservant. So what are you working on at the moment, Will? You're always busy. I matched my stride to his. That was us, two partners. I am kept busy, drafting arguments and amendments, Cat. There's going to be a change soon, and Cromwell is preparing all the points for and against. We are consulting with scholars, and we want to have a solid case to present to Parliament. Case for what? I thought the divorce was being handled by Rome now, and it has all gone very quiet. Lady Anne is very anxious about it all. It doesn't put her in the best of moods. She made Jane Seymour cry today. We reached the house and went up the stairs to our room. Will sat down heavily on the bed. Did she now? Master Cromwell doesn't like that about her. We may have been enemies, but Queen Catherine was more considerate. So tell me, what case are you preparing, Will? Are you saying that it will break the deadlock? Will nodded grimly. Yes, it will. And in a way that no one could have predicted. So tell me, Will, what is going to happen? I had served Queen Catherine of Aragon for 12 years and I had experienced the pain and frustration she had felt over the last four Surely anything was better than this agonising waiting. Cat, I will tell you, we hide nothing from each other, 
but you must not tell anyone else. Not Lady Anne, not her mother, not even your confessor. You know I don't go to confession any more. I reminded him. Makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't like some old man listening to all my private life. Cat, you and I are like many people in England. We have misgivings about the church. We want an end to the dictatorship of the priests, and we hate the corruption. I nodded impatiently. But the king likes the old church, even if he doesn't always agree with its decisions. Will started to whisper. Not even Master Cromwell must know that I have told you this. Now for years, the king has been working to force, persuade or even bribe the Pope to grant his divorce. Where has that got him? Nowhere. Four years and nothing to show for it. All the time, there was a solution waiting if he could only accept it. We become a Protestant nation as so many of us wish. The king would never accept that. He hates Protestants, I objected. Not so much as he has a passion for Anne Boleyn. Cromwell is talking with him all the time. If we were to have a church that was separate from Rome, the king would be at its head. And as for granting himself a divorce, he could do it in a morning. My mouth dropped open. Will corrected himself. Not literally in a morning, but don't you see, he would have the power to free himself from Catherine. But who will support him in this? Will looked at me and grinned widely. All of us, Cat. All of the people who are tired of the Roman church. He may not like Protestants, but if he wants to split from Rome, he needs our support. His lust for Anne Boleyn will bring us a new settlement, a new church, which we can form ourselves. He chuckled. Cromwell is a reformer. This is what he wants. But we cannot speak too loudly of it yet. It will be accomplished in the next year, Cat, and the world will become very different. I sat on the bed considering this. I am in agreement with you, Will, that reform is needed. But what about poor Queen Catherine? It will kill her to see the king break away from the Holy Roman Church. Will shrugged his shoulders. She is a wonderful woman, Queen Catherine. Cromwell has great respect for her. But her obstinacy has brought nothing but harm to her faith and to her daughter. If she had agreed to a divorce years ago, everyone, including the church, would have been very relieved. She would have been given estates, money and paid great honour at court. Who knows, some way might have been found to keep Princess Mary as an heir after any sons Anne Boleyn may have. As I listened, I felt immensely sad. Everything Will said was right, but that was what Queen Catherine was like. She had taken a vow to be Henry's wife and nothing would make her change it. You have to respect her, though, the way she has stuck to her principles. There are not many like her. I would always defend her, even to my own husband. No, I don't respect her, not anymore. She says she is fighting for her faith, and yet I tell you, 
Her actions will mean England will leave the church she so loves. She says she loves her daughter, but her actions mean that Princess Mary isn't allowed to see her and is left alone to suffer. Are those the actions of a woman of principle? You're talking about my mother, Will. You're attacking the only person who cared for me once I was on my own. Will looked coldly at me. So I never cared for you? His voice was cold. If you had, you wouldn't say these things. You see things as a man. Don't you understand, Will? The king has disdained her and disrespected her. Of course they were married in the eyes of the church. And now he gets to push her aside and look as if he's being very pious about it. I hate him, Will. I really do. Will put his hand on my shoulder. Don't get angry, sweetheart. You can't blame the king for this. Yes, I can, and I do. I like Lady Anne, but she is not queen. All of this is because he wants to have her. Will shook his head. Yes, he lusts for her. But think for a moment, Cat. If Lady Anne were not on the scene, do not suppose that the king would not wish to divorce Queen Catherine. He has a duty to provide an heir for England. He has an heir, or had you forgotten? I snapped. A male heir, Cat. He needs a male heir. Will sat back as if the argument was won. So you don't believe I'm your equal? You're saying that a man is better than a woman? Cat, you are my superior in every way. But to rule England, you need a man. I turned away from him and went to wash my face. Come, sweetheart, let's not fight. I haven't seen you for three days and I'm aching for you. I dried my face with a cloth and walked to the bed. Will, how can I lie with you when you've just disrespected me and all of my sex? I sat on the side of the bed and took my shoes off. Then I lay stiffly on top of the covers, fully clothed. Sighing, Will lay beside me. We were silent for about half an hour until I felt the merest flutter of a touch on my folded hands. Will was lying on his side, gazing at me. Cut, I'm sorry. I must not forget you are a Tudor woman, daughter of the King and Queen Catherine, and you will always fight your corner. I love your fiery spirit. I love your courage and your intelligence. I will never disrespect you, I promise. I turned on my side towards him. My anger had subsided and I was grateful to him for giving me a way out. So you respect me? I asked softly. I respect every part of you, from your thin white feet to your beautiful face. You know that, cat. I sat on the bed and started to peel off my hose. He leant over and helped me, pulling gently on the toes. See, I love your feet and I love your toes. I will kiss them one by one. I wriggled my toes as he kissed them and licked them with his warm tongue. And I love your ankles, very fine ankles, and your calves, and your beautiful, sturdy thighs. As he spoke, 
His mouth was moving up my legs, kissing every inch delicately and yet with an iron purpose. I felt the sensations moving from my feet upwards towards the nerves that centred in my vagina. I was breathing faster now and feeling less and less in control. But I didn't let him take over. I rolled over and pulled his hose down. His legs were well muscled, with black hairs brushing across his white flesh. I loved him. I kissed those hairs and felt his muscles tauten as I worked up his groin. Then we were both pulling at each other's clothes, frantically unlacing each other, impatient for the moment when we would both be naked. At last we fell together in the bed and I felt his body lying on mine. He was heavy, but I welcomed it. I welcomed his tight, furry belly, his hard muscles and his swelling cock. I had never meant to marry, but I loved this man to distraction and I had loved him all my life. We moved together, him plunging into me, me buckling up against him, making him groan with pleasure. But he held himself back and continued to move inside me, letting his weight excite and awake me. At last, I felt an explosion of pleasure, then wave after wave of delight. As I shook, he cried out and finished inside me. I praised God, who had created us to have such pleasure, giving and taking, ecstasy, and in the end, fulfilment. That was it, the coupling. It always made things right between us. Our bodies would not allow us to be enemies for long. They had their own longings which we couldn't resist. Afterwards, we lay there in each other's arms, murmuring sweet endearments, sleeping, then drowsily kissing. We may not have slept for long, but those nights together gave us all the refreshment we needed. Quickly, next morning, we washed and ate some stale bread left out in the kitchen. It was still early, but we had to be back at Greenwich. We rushed down to the river and got into a skiff which brought us downriver faster than we would have liked. We disembarked and kissed hurriedly before rushing off to our work. I turned as I reached the door to the private apartments and I saw Will disappearing into the workrooms of the palace. I felt a little pang and wished for a moment I could be with him all day. But no, I was a person in my own right and I was not going to hang around his neck waiting for him to be nice to me. I took my lute and made my way up to Lady Anne's apartments. The chambers were familiar to me. They had once been the Queen's, although all signs of her had been erased. The tapestries she had loved were gone, replaced by newer designs. Her symbol, the pomegranate, had been removed from every ceiling boss and mantelpiece. We were in Anne's privy chamber, but her coat of arms had yet to go up, and so there were bare patches every few feet, waiting to be filled in. Lady Anne was sitting with her mother, Lady Boleyn, both listlessly playing cards. She looked up as I came in and curtsied to them both. Ah, Cat, you are late. I'm sorry, my lady, the boatman was not speedy. 
She nodded impatiently. She didn't know where I lived, only that I was now married and living with my husband. Play me something cheerful, cat. I started on pastime with good company, only for her to snap. Not that one. I don't even want to think about the king this morning. It turned out that she had not received a letter from the king, although she had been expecting one. He was away for a few days, and she always got anxious when she hadn't heard from him. I strummed heartily at the lute, and she hummed along for a while. Then she held up her hand for me to finish. Cat, I have been meaning to ask you something, she said. Something puzzles me about you. Of course, my lady, but there's nothing puzzling about me, I assert, my voice a little trembly. What is she about to ask? Does she know about my birth? But how could she? Had anyone at Cromwell's house overheard Will and me talking? But they wouldn't betray us, surely. You say you were a foundling, and I have heard that you were indeed taken in as an orphan by Catherine. I noticed that Lady Anne was no longer using Queen Catherine's title. But you act like a lady. You are better educated than most ladies at court. You are a musician. You did not learn that on the street. You even have the look of a Plantagenet, the white skin and red hair. I wonder, Cat, if you are a by-blow from an earlier time. No, no, indeed, my lady, I said. I was no Plantagenet's bastard, just a foundling, as you were told. I was fortunate that I was given an education by... And here I paused, um, by the old queen, Anne sniffed, not best pleased. Do you still think of her as the queen, she demanded? Oh no, indeed not. It was just a slip of the tongue. I wondered where all of this was going. Anne smiled, but her eyes were cool. She thought for a moment and then nodded. Yes, cat, we all have our way to make in court, don't we? But just be careful. You cannot afford to lose this post because of past mistakes. My lady, I know that you are the future and I respect you deeply. You will not find me disloyal. I put down my lute and curtsied deeply to her. The kind of curtsy one would do for a queen. I hoped that she would be pacified. She came over to me and raised me up. Look me in the eyes. Her intelligence burned within them and maybe a touch of amusement. There's just one question I have, Cat. There is something about you which you have not told me. Why do you hide the truth from me?